Hello, my name is Claude Carouet. Welcome to this Ed Voices podcast. Today with us, Education International's President Susan Hopgood. Susan, you've been involved in the fight for more adequate funding for education around the world. How is funding an answer to deplorable environment for teaching and learning? Well, I think the, the answer is quite simple. Funding is essential to provide uh, the quality um, uh, teaching, the quality tools, the quality environments we need to ensure that we can provide a quality education for all of our children. If I reflect on my own country in Australia, what we have learnt over many years is that the, the children who are falling behind, the children who come from more disadvantaged backgrounds, Indigenous children, children from rural and remote areas, children who come from uh, families that do not have the resources available to them, they're the ones who do fall behind and they're the ones that we need to make sure that we provide for in terms of a quality education as well as all of the other children of course. What we must be able to do is provide quality teaching. We need teachers who are highly qualified, well remunerated and have the time and space to be able to prepare their lessons and meet the needs of all of the children in their classrooms. We also need the quality tools. We need the curriculum that is going to meet the needs of the students. We need to make sure that we have quality environments. We need safe environments. We need good classrooms. We need children to have access to information and communication technology. All of those are the essential elements of a quality education. And how do we acquire those? Well, we acquire them because we have the resources that are necessary. Actually, you can't produce computers for schools without funding. You can't train teachers without funding. You can't provide up-to-date classrooms, safe environments, without the funding necessary. And very importantly, you can't provide what the children who are falling behind need in terms of additional environments and so on. I always think about it this way. If a child is struggling with their reading, they often need a literacy coach. If the child is suffering from a speech difficulty, they might need a speech coach. All of these are additional resources that teachers need to help meet the needs of every child. It always goes back to one thing though, it goes back to funding. Without the funding, we can't provide those environments. Susan, you made it very clear that if we want quality education through quality teaching, quality environments, quality tools, funding is key. The news of the day in so many parts of the world is about the power relationships. It's, uh, it's about um, power relationship between men and women in the workplace and elsewhere in society. It's so difficult for so many women, even after so many years, into the movement for equal rights and respect. As a leader, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of equity for women in the workplace and in organisations? Well, Claude, I'm generally an optimistic person. So I think, yes, I am optimistic. I sometimes am very frustrated because Change is slow and we often go backwards. I woke up this morning and I looked at the news and I noticed something which made me feel very pleased. 
in Ethiopia, the government, the leader of Prime Minister, has just announced a new cabinet. 50% of those positions have gone to women. That is fantastic news. That's the sort of news that tells us that there is change. That, in fact, there is a recognition that we need both women and men in our leadership, whether it is political leadership, whether it is educational leadership, uh, whether it is within a school. But we need, and of course, I should have said, and whether it is within unions. And so we've got to work toward that, and we have been for many decades. That's where my frustration comes. Sometimes I think, well, we've been working at changing these power relationships, at making sure that we have women represented in proportion to their, to the, to their numbers in all, at all levels, and that's very slow. But change does occur. When I look at our union, um, my own union, the Australian Education Union, I can see that change. When I look at Education International, I can see that change. But one thing I have learned, it doesn't just happen. You don't get women in leadership positions simply because we say we need more women. Actually, we have to constantly work at it. We have to constantly challenge cultures, the way we work, attitudes. We have to not only encourage women, but we have to provide the, um, the, the environments, if you like, for women to feel they are welcome and that they can actually lead. But we also need men to be prepared to stand up for that. We need men sometimes to vacate their power positions, to be able to say, I will step down because I know we need more women in our organisation. As I say, it doesn't just happen. We need to constantly fight for it. And if we continue to do that, then that change will be more permanent than it is now. As an EI leader, you have actively campaigned for an increased involvement of women in unions and in union leadership. Do you see any momentum there? Well, it's very interesting, that question, because I've just come from the World Executive um, uh, EI Executive Board meeting, where we have actually been debating uh, the, the resolutions that are to be put to the World Congress next year. And one of those was in relation to um, the numbers of women on our Executive Board. So yes, I see momentum. It is constantly being discussed. There is always opposition. There will always be opposition. But we have to be able to put up the good arguments. We have to actually be able to say, not just say, well, look, we want women there. We have to be able to explain why it is important to have women in our leadership positions in our organisation. In EI, that means, of course, amongst the leadership levels, amongst the executive board, but it's not only at that level. It's with our own national organisations as well. Yes, there is momentum. I think there is. But we do have to be able to explain to people that the organisation will be better for it, that we will better represent our members if we have women in leadership positions, that we will be able to address all of the issues for all of our member organisations and those within it, the teachers and the education support personnel, and most importantly, the students. We will be able to do that if, in fact, our organisation does represent our teachers and our support personnel, who in many countries are predominantly women. 
Yes, there is momentum, but no, we cannot stop striving for it. Now, tell us a little bit about your own story. How did you come to be an activist and a leader in your own life? Sometimes I sit in a meeting or I'm meeting um, a member of government, I'm advocating for, for our organisation, for our members, and I stop and think, how did I get here? It, I think, oh, I was just, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm in a, in a conservative country area in rural Australia. And yet, I'm here. It's a good question, and I have actually thought about it a lot over my career, I suppose, my working life. One thing I know is that my parents firmly believed in education. And not only did they believe in education, but they believed in their daughters being educated. So that was the first thing. They ensured that I had an education and I had educational opportunities, which took me to university. And when I was at university, that was when I, I became, I was politicised. Because when I was at university in Australia, we were active in campaigns against Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War. We were active in campaigns against conscription into the army. We were active in campaigns against apartheid in South Africa. And so as a university student, I was involved in those campaigns and I became aware of the world around me. I became an internationalist. I understood in those early years the importance of the collective, the importance of working globally. And very importantly, then that led to my involvement in unions because when I started teaching, it was very clear that if we were to achieve what we wanted to achieve, we had to do it together and we had to do it as part of the trade union movement. So for me, I think it was two things. It was university, but it was my parents and particularly my mother and their firm belief that if their children and their daughters had every educational opportunity possible, they would be able to actually go out into the world and strive for what they wanted to achieve. They gave me the confidence to do that. Sometimes now I reflect on what it's like in universities now. You know, in so many universities our students are struggling to support themselves. They have high debt, the fees are very high, they have to have two or three jobs and uh, they have very little time to be able to participate in the sorts of campaigning, activities, advocacy that I did when I was at university. Because I, when I was at university, I was in a very lucky position not to have fees um, and, around, and not be forced to work. I sometimes worry about what that means for our future activists, in fact, because of the the, the nature of universities and the students and, and, what, and the times that they can have together at university. But for me, that was where it all started. You will preside over EI's 8th World Congress in July, next year in Bangkok, Thailand. Can you please give us a preview? Uh, what sort of issues will be highlighted? It's such an important Congress. We are now 25 years old, Education International, and we've come a long way. We've fought for many things and we've made, we believe, many changes. And we have a very, very strong organisation. So this Congress gives us an opportunity to move forward. 
with a theme of educators and their unions taking the lead. Under that theme, we will be looking at three sub-themes. One of them about democracy, trade union and human rights. A second about advancing the profession. And finally, but not last, achieving free quality public education for all. The Congress gives us an opportunity to bring all of our member organisations together to discuss these issues, to discuss them in depth and at length and come to some conclusions about what we should do in the next four years to advance those causes. The Congress comes at a particularly interesting time. We will be looking at the whole area around education and democracy. This is very important to us. As we know, there are very many changes going on in the world. So that discussion about the role education can play in achieving democracy, but not only the importance of democracy and education together will give us an opportunity to actually examine those issues. The discussion around education and democracy will give us an opportunity to examine what is happening in the world at a time which is very interesting, at a particular time where we are facing very many challenges, particularly challenges in a number of countries about democracy. So it is an important Congress and we're looking forward to it very much. To get the latest global education news and advocacy, subscribe to Ed Voices on your favourite podcast app or anytime on SoundCloud. And as always, tell a friend, spread the word and please give us a review on iTunes. Bye for now. Bye.